Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. In roughly 20 minutes, Greg Sankey will join us. SEC commissioner will be on OutKick 360 on the OutKick network. We are in Nashville with the Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. The home is 6th and Peabody. The next time you're in Music City, come join us. The home for the SEC this week is in Atlanta at SEC Media Days. Mark Stoops, the head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats, will be on in exactly one hour from now. And we will also uh, chat with uh, Greg Sankey in a a matter of minutes. Plus, Roger McCreary, Titans Corner, is about to sit down with us at our broadcast site in Atlanta as well. Uh, NFL news while we wait on that, Paul. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers through Adam Schefter, they have uh, granted access for Garoppolo and his agent to seek a trade. No big surprise to me. This is something that they have discussed openly, surprisingly openly, through their head coach at uh, press availabilities all offseason. Garoppolo has said he's expected as much as well when their season ended in the NFC Championship game. But we've been waiting on his shoulder in all the rehab and him being able to throw a football Late last night, I was scrolling the web, and I saw where I, – I, mean, Flor, I, I give Florio credit for it because I, I saw the headline in the article. I don't know if it, he was saying this or he's referencing another report that it could be as long as mid, mid-August, early to mid-August, when he would actually clear a physical, which would hinder him on being traded. And then less than 12 hours later – here he is being given access to seek a trade. I thought this money was guaranteed, and I've read lately it is not. So I would expect Garoppolo as part of this deal to have to uh, eat some money in the same way that um, that uh, the move Carolina made oh, Baker Mayfield. to get yeah. Baker Mayfield. Now, his money was guaranteed, but he had to give up some money. Uh, what did he give up? $3.5 million in order to facilitate that trade Which where Cleveland took took uh, yes. a big hit. Carolina is paying not very much, and, Gar- and, and uh, Mayfield ate some money. I think if Garoppolo is going to get this contract taken by a team, um, San Francisco is going to have to eat some. He's going to have to eat some. Or they're going to find it hard to, to get a suitor because it's not guaranteed. And so they know that if, uh, that if they play hardball, whoever the suitor is, um, they're ultimately not going to want to pay him $25 million to stay, and they can force a situation where the 49ers might have to consider cutting. It's a deal with – he had 74.1 guaranteed, and that's more guaranteed money than the percentage of time he's been available to play, if yeah. you look at it. It was a – at the time of signing, a five-year, $137.5 million deal, 74 guaranteed. This year, base salary is 24.2. It's very interesting because, obviously, the top-end quarterbacks, great things happen for them. And 
some some bottom tier quarterbacks, some good things have happened for them. If you look at um, what happened in Cleveland with their backup plan for Deshaun Watson, but um, these middle tier quarterbacks outside of Trubisky have had some trouble. Let's head to Atlanta. Titans rookie corner Roger McCreary joins us on Outkick 360 from uh, SEC Media Days, where he is there on behalf of Bush's Baked Beans. They are one of the presenting sponsors of SEC Media Days. And when you think, oh, that makes sense for tailgating, uh, the chilies and different things that uh, they, they make out of their East Tennessee home with Bushes. Roger McCreary sees this and says, man, this is a dream come true. Roger, good to have you on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This, uh, this is a no-brainer sponsorship, right? Yeah, no, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. No brainer at all. I'm just very excited just to have this partnership with them. I'm really excited. It's like a childhood dream. Did you ever think your affinity for your pregame meal, which is certainly an odd one, would, uh, <laughs> would so quickly turn into a positive thing for you on the marketing front? Oh, yeah. Um, it was really exciting um, just to have this deal um, and like to finally like actually deal with them and represent them here. Because I always wanted to be here and just to represent them in the beans, too. Like this, this really like a dream come true right here. And I'm very excited. Former Auburn Tiger, current Tennessee Titan, Roger McCreary with us. For those that don't know the backstory, how many uh, plates of, of baked beans or beans in general are you eating pregame? This is a ritual for you. Um, for the people that don't know, um, I eat two full plates of baked beans. Um, sometimes, like, my family they put um, ground beef in it or connected sausage, but that was one thing I did. I put kind of sugar in it. Like, I put, like, eight pounds of sugar in it, so that was a, a little different that, that really stood out. And I'm just like really excited because um like one time my my own teammate he recorded me on TikTok and that when it finally got known it had went viral and that when it finally got known that I really love baked beans. How has your start uh, to your NFL career gone? Oh, uh, it it gone great. Um, just coming in, just learning from the best and everything. Um, I, I learned a lot just from different between college and in the league how to game more faster and how like you're actually playing the business against real like grown men and everything so it, it was just great just to experience that and to, just to finally be in the lead to say actually to say down I'm a professional football player so you obviously went and played in the in the best conference in the country you played against some real grown men um while you were at auburn uh I, i'm thinking probably eight big time receivers who are in the league uh Traylon burks who's your teammate now uh dotson from penn state jamar chase uh, Jefferson from LSU and probably four guys from Bama. Um, I don't know if I missed anybody there, but that that's a heck of a resume coming into the league. I'm not going to ask you who the toughest guy there was, but what did you learn about yourself in dealing with guys of that caliber? And, and would you come into the league maybe knowing about yourself like, hey, I'm good at this, but the thing I need to work on to be able to stand toe-to-toe with those guys on Sundays every week is blank. Um, I really learned like learned a lot. That's why I'm so excited I played at Auburn and SEC because I played against a lot of amazing receivers, like some other guys like Devontae Smith, all them guys. It was just like amazing because they all have different styles and everything. So I learned in that process that you cannot all play them receivers the same because they all got different styles. So throughout the whole week, I learned as a DP, you can't just play one style. You have to switch it up. You have to come in a whole different way. So throughout that whole time, I was trying to learn new techniques, new all that. 
And I feel like that helped improve my game a lot, especially being coached by like three different coaches, three three different position coaches and everything. It was great because I took heat in all the stuff that they taught me. And I add stuff of like to my skill set, I add more to it. So it was just amazing. And like young guys, like actually playing Lee now and knowing I'm gonna play against like more better guys in Lee and all that stuff. It's just exciting. Like I'm I'm not I'm not scared to go against anybody. Like I did every week, week in and week out, and that's how I'm gonna be in Lee. I just um like going into Lee now, I don't have like like no no way of like I gotta do this more better than another day. It just really just hit, always improving that technique or that style, no matter what. I got to be more quicker. I got to be more faster. I got to change the direction more quicker. It's just like stuff like that. that I got to keep pressing over and over. It's not no specific thing that, that really stuck out to me, really. It's just that I always got to adapt because I'm always going against great receivers. You mentioned your coaches. One of them that comes to mind is you mentioned the style of play is Kevin Steele. He's known for that press man, defensive back mentality. You, you're known for your physical style, and you don't shy away from that. Um, how much did he help you in your development? And, and, of course, your position coaches would also factor in there. But specifically, being able to play that much press man in college has positioned you well for the transition to the league. Um, Coach Steele, yeah, like I, I never really played corner on um, coming out of high school, so it was different, different for me. But Coach Steele, I feel like Coach Steele, he put that confidence in me. He put that dog in me. Like he was so confident in his DBs. He was confident in me about like, we want you to play man like this guy up the whole game. That's how confident he was in us. So like. I know, like, having this coach who's so confident in me, knowing that I can lock this guy, that just, like, raised my, like, game to the top. And especially playing man throughout the whole game, like, I feel like doing that, you can really have, like, bring the dog out of you, like, being more field school. Like, that's where I feel like every corner should always know how to press because that's the bread and butter of being a corner. Like, that shows, like, if you're really a true good corner. And I feel like Coach Dale helped me, helped me through that a lot, especially with the position coach, too. Like as um Woodson and Coach McGriff and all them guys who was under Coach Steele, it was just great because did that that was that that them the coaches who really like started my um cornerback career really and um um Coach um Coach Mason and Coach Zach Ether was the guys who finished it and helped improve it to a whole another level. So I'm, I'm, I feel like in all them experience. I'm curious, Roger. So you made the decision to come back to college instead of into the draft early. And you mentioned Coach Mason takes over. At Vandy, he's known for that zone coverage style, mm. opposite of steel. Did that, um, when you learn that, does that, do you think, oh man, like I, I should have jumped into the draft as I was thinking of it coming off the year being coached by Kevin Steele because you're playing the style that you want to play? Um, or I, I, more or less, how did you embrace the new role that Mason would be bringing to his secondary? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I was playing on Coach Steele for three years playing press man. Um, that was the reason. That was another decision why I really came back because I knew Coach Mason and the new coach staff that was gonna bring another different style to me. Cause I also used to playing man, so I knew it was gonna be different. So I came back. They told me we're gonna play off man. We're gonna play zone. Okay. And I was excited. Like I was happy because it that like it just made me learn more and just improved me more as a player. That mean I could bring new techniques to just only playing man. Like you can't you can't just only play man as a corner. So I feel like Coach Mason. That why they have improved my game even more. Than just the man mindset of it. Like, I started learning zone more. I started, like, using my eyes more. Yeah, I started even coming, like, playing zone. They even make you more smarter as a player of, like, looking at this and seeing that. So, really, like, just being coached by them two on defense coordinators, they have improved my game a lot. And I'm happy I just didn't coach. I, I'm happy I just didn't get coached by one of them, but I got coached by both of them. So, it was really exciting experience there from both of them. So, Christian Fulton, who was a second-round pick a couple of years ago, like you are this year, uh, had a great year last year. He's established now as the Titans' number one guy. 
The number two guy is not established. Caleb Farley had a rough go last year, played a couple games, got hurt twice, coming off a torn ACL. Um, it looks like he and you have a chance here to kind of slug it out for that number two job. How well did you get to know Caleb during uh, OTAs and minicamp and, and your time on the Titans campus? Um, and, oh, yeah. and what do you kind of expect you, between the two of you? Yeah, um, I kind of knew Caleb a, a little bit before that. Like, I knew of him, of like, him playing at school and everything. He was a top cornerback and everything. And when I got there, I even knew him more, like what type of person he was. Just um, just him being um, like a cool guy. Like it wasn't like no competition between me and him. He was helping me out throughout the whole way. I was asking questions about the plays and everything, and he was helping me. Like it was no competition. And um, like it's really not like by seeing who's gonna be the cornerback too, because we really are trying to improve. Because, like, we don't know where truly position that we're going to play. So, like, it's not really a competition of how we both looking at it. We always talk about it a lot. We're just trying to improve and just trying to, like, like make, like, win. Win as a team. Like, we're trying, to, we're trying to, like, win, like, as a whole and not just, like, being individuals and just trying to win just one position. How eager That's are how you? That's how we have to. How eager are you just to get to camp and get going? Oh, I'm really excited. Um, just just finally like come back and play. Um, OTAs it was great and everything, but I know when I come back now it's gonna be Kim. This when stuff start getting interesting. This when we really start getting into football a lot, and I'm just really excited because I still got a lot more to learn no matter what. I'm just trying to improve. I feel like us as corners, we all need to improve because we're younger guys. So I'm just really excited to see how it's gonna go. There's no way I would be able to not peek ahead and know, man. It. it for me, it would be cool that Brady is going to be practicing against you, right? Like, have you looked ahead to the practice schedule and thought, man, like, I'm going to get some good work in here? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Um, like, practicing against him, I'm going to be so excited. Like, I'm probably <laughs> going to be like a fan there. I'm just be happy. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm practicing Brady. I'm happy. So, it's just really like I'm the type of guy who loves, cherish the moment no matter what. It's just actually playing against guys who I looked up to. They're going to be truly a dream come true. And like knowing that they can, they gonna get me better because I can learn from them and see that style and everything, and it's just great because we're all trying to improve as players. And I'm just happy, like just to see that. I'm so excited. That's one big thing I'm really excited about is playing against the guys I looked up to. You guys are a young group of corners. A lot of people look at that and and feel like it's a question mark. But uh, sticking with that Bucks theme, uh, they had a big pass rush and and a young group of corners a couple years ago. And uh, and that defense was really a key to them winning the Super Bowl. You guys kind of have a similar shape. Does that give you confidence? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, you know we have like a younger cornerback group, but we have like vets guys like Kevin Byer and our Money Hooker. Like them guys really helped us and showed us around. And just like the linebackers and the D line, them guys, them they always come with it. Like them some big guys that I seen in person. Like. I learned a lot from it just to see how they play and everything. It's, it's just great to actually see that because, like, I'm really playing grown dudes now and, like, to see how, how they practice, how they push one another, just the defense. Like, we really push each other a lot. Like, they're going to get on you. They're going to help you wide. You need questions. You can ask anybody on the team, another corner, a safety. They're really there to help you because we all are trying to win as a team. That's the reason why I'm so excited to play on this defense. Roger McCreary has been our guest, Titans rookie cornerback. Auburn Tiger as well joins us from Atlanta on behalf of Bush's Baked Beans. Roger, thank you as always, and uh, we will catch up soon once camp gets uh, rolling, man. Look forward to seeing you uh, out there next week.
Oh yeah, I'm looking for it. And I got I got something for y'all. I got y'all the beans. Been about it once, so I got y'all the beans send right them, here. Send them home. Send them home with our hey, producer there. How many? How oh, many? Yeah, cans, I'm sending it to y'all. How many cans of beans has Bushes sent you? Oh, they sent me a lot. I'm not going to lie. Like I, they sent me like about five big boxes of Bush <laughs> beans. Like I was really like giving out to my family, my friends. I had to keep a boss to myself. Yeah. So that's why I'm trying to give y'all one because I got so many. So okay, so there I go. So Send most of us think as beans as the side dish. You seem to be a guy that thinks of beans as the feature dish. So what's your side dish to eat with beans? <laughs> my side dish. I love macaroni and I love ribs. Doom doom. Like that's the best combination ever. Like I don't really like eating that much because the baked beans gonna take up half of the plate. Okay. So it's gonna be that macaroni and ribs. All right. Well, well I'll keep my distance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, appreciate it, Roger. We look forward to meeting you in person uh, once once camp rolls. Thanks. All right. Thank you. There's Roger McCreary. Nice dude. Uh, a, a crazy pregame ritual, but the guy loves it. It's like me with a Jolly Rancher. You know. Yeah. It's, Baked beans were his candy. <laughs> he he and and Caleb Farley are uh, one of the big storylines of camp. Yeah. And uh, I, I said this earlier this week. I mean, I, I don't know where Caleb Farley is on the ACL. He did it early in the season, so he should be in a good spot. But we're watching two ACL recoveries with different kind of guys this year in Robert Woods and Caleb Farley as opposed to Taylor Luan and Bud Dupree who operate yeah. in much less space. They're operating in way more space. My thing with Farley isn't so much how does he come off the ACL. He's done it once before. It's a concern. But my thing with Farley is he had in college an ACL Mm -hmm. and a back that required two surgeries, and then he came here and he had a shoulder before the ACL, and then he had the ACL. My concern is, is there something next, and is this guy just an injury-prone guy? Well, and the Titans' concern – is alleviated a bit by drafting him in the yeah. second round, right? And that's part of why they drafted him. Yep. Coming up, big topics to discuss with SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. He's next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Commissioner Greg Sankey with us on Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Commissioner, thank you for the time. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. I look forward to the conversation. 
conference expansion is the conversation across college football and college athletics currently, as you well know. But the SEC is in a a very patient state right now, not reacting. I'm sure you have programs picking up the phone, conferences picking up the phone, calling around, trying to figure out what's going on. But the SEC is in a position to be patient and to observe and not react because of the Texas and Oklahoma announcement last year. Give us your perspective of what happened on the at the end of June as, as you were on vacation and you looked up and saw that USC and UCLA was headed to the Big Ten. You, you first described accurately uh, our, our view and our positioning, and, and I think it's a validation of the additions we announced uh, last July with Oklahoma and Texas scheduled to join the Southeastern Conference, move us to 16 members in 2025. And when the news broke on June 30 that the Big Ten would be adding USC and UCLA, uh, that produced a lot of effort to just make sure we could separate fact from fiction. And we waited almost a week to visit with our campus leaders, our presidents, chancellors, and our athletics directors so that we could provide them accurate information. Uh, talk about what we understand what was happening in other conferences and then really ask, who are we? And at the end of that conversation, uh, we felt comfortable with the additions we've made. We're, we're in a really good geographic footprint. We have national prominence. And while, yeah, could we ever add additional members we could we have to be respectful in that process we're going to be respectful in conversations for those income related to those incoming phone calls but we're not just going to jump because somebody else moved because really they moved uh after we did uh, and we're not just going to seek to go to a number if we were to expand we want to have uh additions that add to our culture that have a similar philosophy of how we conduct and support intercollegiate athletics uh, by adding great universities. And, and that to me is, uh, is informs a thoughtful process and doesn't uh, dictate that we just have to react immediately. How much of what you're doing, you're certainly observing what Notre Dame is up to as the independent that's out there. How much of their decision and what they do determines more of the future than you calling up or the SEC, Big Ten, adding more schools at this time? We we fully respect Notre Dame's independence, and and I um, appreciated the opportunity to work with Jack Swarbrick through our college football playoff format discussions. Ultimately, uh, those weren't adopted under the governance structure, uh, but part of that work acknowledged that, that Notre Dame does have a unique status as an independent. They have an affiliation in other sports beyond football uh, with the ACC. I don't think there's any one particular issue that dictates a direction. If a conference leaving the question about an institution, but if a conference added and went to 17, no one's going to stay at 17. So the issues really become uh, the ripple effects or the dominoes that fall uh, after that type of, of movement. And uh, again, we're attentive, wherever that may be, uh, the, the, the circumstance and the questions based on a hypothetical, if somebody moves, uh, but our reference to being thoughtful, but still being aware and nimble uh, is, is predicated on if there are additional moves, we're going to have to be informed about our, our thought process and, and where there might be opportunities. Uh, but fundamentally, we have great respect for Notre Dame. We have a number of non-conference games scheduled with Notre Dame and their status of independent, I think, has added value to the college football universe. I'm curious how you view what the transfer portal is doing to to the game, kind of with with free agency now, 
as opposed to how the game's always kind of been where where a program grows kids over a period of time. Uh, do you think it's healthy for the game that that now teams can in one year kind of transform themselves with veteran players, so to speak, by going to the portal and plucking uh, a bunch of kids as opposed to to growing in the in the way fans have become accustomed? When I when I looked at the last statistics around our conference, eighty percent of our participants in football don't transfer, and it's actually a little bit higher than that. So. Uh, the vast, vast majority of our, our participants in football actually conduct themselves in the same manner as they have for decades, which is they're part of a program. Uh, they grow within that program. Uh, but we do have a much larger segment. Even that you know, 18 to 20 percent is a much larger percentage of participants transferring. And the real issue is not just the portal. It's that we've removed restrictions that existed and prevented immediate participation. So that's incentivized, if you will, the transfer behavior. And we have to remember, we've been in a COVID environment. We have COVID eligibility extensions. We have more people in the system later in their career than we've ever had in college sports. We have this NIL overlay that's clearly inserted itself into recruiting. So we're watching behaviors and learning as we go. Uh, you will see in early August some adjustment to the national transfer structure. We'll have declaration windows in front of the Division One Board of Directors to be adopted that could be in place next season, which restores a bit of order. Um, I don't think we're ever going to go back to the restrictive environment that we had before. And so what I, I believe will happen is we'll start down a path of adding some healthy structure. We'll also learn more about this behavior and probably adapt over the coming years uh, to allow young people to make decisions where they need to transfer, but also to support healthy rosters, healthy development, healthy educational outcomes. And we should be attentive to whether or not we've affected graduation rates, which should continue to grow. And that's ultimately our goal for young people. And as you see more transfer behavior, that actually inhibits that, that graduation access. So there's a lot there. First step will be some August uh, consideration by the Division One Board of Directors that I do think will change the environment a bit. To Mr. Greg Sankey, our guest on Outkick 360, name, image, and likeness, uh, another uh, big d decision uh, that happened last year that now becomes a talking point yet again. We have detailed on our show your visit to, to Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. to discuss possible federal legislation from the House and, and committee's end on things from the Senate, um, and that was part of your address on Monday as well. Are, are you hopeful that either we see federal legislation down the line or that the states that have a member institution for the Southeastern Conference can come together as a collective group to form some boundaries and some borders for how we regulate this moving forward. We've talked back to 2019 about what we need for the onset of name, image, and likeness legislation. I think a lot of what we identified as a league and as actually a group of conferences among the, the five conferences uh, back in 2019 was the right philosophy. W right at the top of the list is we didn't want name, image, and likeness to be introduced through a patchwork of state legislation. Yet, for a variety of reasons, that's exactly what we have. And, and it actually inhibits our ability to support national competition. So I'm in Atlanta right now. Uh, Oregon's going to play Georgia in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium that same day, Utah at Florida. We want to support a, a set of standards that facilitate national competition. And we also want the College World Series, the final four, the college football playoff, 
uh, to, to continue forward. And, and a, a part of that is we've always had an understanding of some basis of standards nationally that inform that competition. We're in a circumstance for that to happen where congressional action is, is necessary. If, if we don't have that, you're correct that we would revert back to uh, a, a more specific conversation among our current 11 states, soon to be 12 with the addition of Oklahoma to see if we can normalize legislation. In fact, in our football coaches meeting, uh, their conversation was, look, we care about competition among each other first. Yeah, we're, we're wondering what's going to happen with the Big Ten and maybe some West Coast schools. But if we can get our standards right uh, through either conference or this common state legislation, that's a healthy step. But still, the priority is congressional action, um, if that's possible. And, and I have made a number of trips. One became public, which are really educational, both for me and for House and Senate members to talk through um, what's happening now, what's really happening around name, image, and likeness, uh, what our ask would be, and then how we need to think differently as we go into a potential conversation about federal legislation. We know uh, geographies become less and less important conference-wise nationally. Um, Missouri is certainly not in the Southeast, but you talked earlier this week about contiguous states. So it's important to you uh, that that your conference be connected at, at least. Um, why is that? And and what do you think about geography in terms of of conference? unity or connectedness at the forefront of of conference membership is that that culture and, and that philosophy of approach that i talked about a moment ago so as i look at opportunities or potential opportunities uh do they fit one of our athletics directors when we were talking about texas and oklahoma said they mean they meet the it just means more tests you know they have a, a, a an avid fan base uh a, a lot of interest um a lot of prominence, um, and, and that's what we have across our current 14 members. And so that's kind of the, the culture and the philosophy to be a part of something special like the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I think geography does still matter with, with all due respect to other decisions. And this is not about the Big Ten's recent move. You have the Big 12 now from Orlando to Provo, Utah. You know, the, the ACC goes from Miami all the way up to Boston. You'll have the L.A. to, to New Jersey maybe the most distant uh, Big Ten circumstance. Our longest trip is Columbia, South Carolina to Austin, Texas in the future. And that's right around 1,200 miles. And, and we can manage that geography. It's two time zones. You can get people there, get them back. They are students. Um, and, and that has to be at the forefront of our conversation. So the idea of continuity of geography facilitates that type of competition. And as you look at a, a big picture map of the United States, we are in the southeast quadrant. Uh, we have moved more into the Midwest with, with our, our recent moves. But there's a consistency of philosophy, a consistency of, of culture and fit uh, that works with our current 14 and future 16 members that would be at the forefront of, of any consideration moving forward. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, our guest on OutKick 360. A, a couple of years back, if you would have said in a room full of the SEC football coaches, hey, guys, we're, we should consider nine games within our conference. I'm not sure what the response would have been. I, I'll admit I'm a bit surprised uh, based on just reading uh, between the lines of what you've said that the, the coaches seem more open to the idea of a nine-game uh, conference schedule than maybe what I would have thought even a year ago. Um, and I'm sure some of that has to do with two additional teams coming in. 
Um, but where are we on the decision for how you determine scheduling moving forward? I know you said there's no deadline, but at some point there will be a vote. Do you have any idea how quickly or how long this might take? Uh, maybe an idea, but not anything that's chiseled in stone. So we've already made decisions on our future scheduling models when we move to 16 teams around uh, basketball, both men's and women's basketball, for example. We made decisions on regular season scheduling in baseball, need to figure out the tournament. Uh, you know, it's not the, the football question, but we have some work to do in volleyball and gymnastics and some other sports. Uh, but football is going to be the headline decision. Uh, I thought we were poised to make a decision in Destin, really because our athletics directors back in, in August and September, as we talked about the future, uh, said to us, wow, if we could know sooner rather than later, that helps us with our non-conference schedule. And I think that's particularly true if we move from eight to nine games at some point. We need to make adjustments because uh, most of our programs will already have scheduled four non-conference games based on our current eight team model. What we were asked in Destin, though, is let's stop and we want some more information. So if we are in a single division, uh, after a quarter century plus of two divisions with very clear tiebreakers, a lot of head-to-head -head opportunities, when you go to a single division, you may not have head-to-head matchups to decide uh, tiebreakers. And so you have to think through the levels of what if. Um, and so we're informing that we had done a lot of that work leading into Destin, but had the need for reminders and maybe some tweaks and further considerations. So that's one point uh, under evaluation. We're also doing uh, analytics work around bowl eligibility and around CFP modeling. So thinking ahead, if it's a four and eight or 12 and maybe a few other iterations of a postseason model, what are the likelihood? What's the likelihood of the SEC having multiple teams? And what are the differences between an eight or a nine game uh, schedule. Uh, we also have to think about the onset of that schedule. So I still receive emails. You know, we had teams that had repeat sites uh, when we expanded with Texas A&M and Missouri. So as we transition to a new schedule, we can, can we do that in a seamless pattern? Uh, what I said up front is we want to engage in blue sky thinking. So let's take a step back, look at all the possibilities. We've looked at almost 40 different models, not just schedule schedules themselves, but models. But the second point was we want to bring our schools through our campuses more frequently. So we have some teams that don't travel uh, to the opposite division uh, for 12 years. You know, it's once in 12 years for Kentucky to go, go to College Station. We have enormous brands and great followings, and we should move them through more frequently. So all of that informs a decision. We'll gather again in late summer. Uh, we, we, we probably won't have all of the information that, that informs a decision, but we're never going to have all of the information. We won't know, in my view, uh, before we, we try to make a decision, what exactly might the CFP format be? We can have more information. Uh, it's interesting. We stopped in Destin wondering what other conferences may do, and boom, you see expansion. We were interested to see what would happen with the Big Ten's media rights. That's obviously still under discussion. And now you have those ripple effects. So when we gather, there's going to be more information on the table. Um, could we make a decision in short term? Uh, we could. Uh, I tend to think people are going to want to use a little bit of time to gather as much information to make really effective decisions. Uh, the real key issue is if we were to move to nine games, the longer we have is lead-in time to make scheduling adjustments around non-conference games, the healthier that experience will be. With the Big Ten and the media rights and, and, and paying attention to that, I'm sure Disney, ABC, ESPN will be doing the same thing. 
do you have to take into consideration them picking up the phone and saying, hey, commissioner, let, let, let's do something because of what the Big Ten is doing? Uh, we really don't receive that kind of input from, from our ESPN colleagues. We talk with them regularly about what's happening around us. We keep them informed in, uh, of our conversation. They will tell us their preferences and, and maybe the, the, the what if answers. Um, and it's a healthy dialogue. But it's not just predicated on one particular move. It's it's a much longer dialogue about where we're heading as a league in and in that media relationship. And and I think part for us of, of the health of the transition fully to that one media entity is we can work seamlessly on both current realities and on future opportunities. Finally, and I, I know you're off to your next media uh, opportunity, um, uh, playoff expansion. At middle of last fall, it looked like, it appeared like we were headed towards an announcement in some way with the number of meetings that you were having as part of the subcommittee and, and different conversations that were going on. I know those left off in January. Um, is it, speaking of deadlines, going back to that word, knowing that the, the, the bowl system, the way it's set up and the college football playoff, the way it's set up, can expire in the next handful of years, does that work in your favor here? Where you are in a position of power where you can get the expanded playoff the way you want it if you're willing to wait for that contract to come up. You know, I think respectfully it works in our favor to a certain extent, but it's still a, a joint venture. It's still a partnership. So we have to decide things together. Um, and we're prepared to make that contribution. Now, what's interesting is we were prepared to make that contribution and and contributed, I think, a set of compromises from our perspective to facilitate an expanded playoff, which everybody except us really wanted um, over time. And then ultimately, when it became decision making time, uh, people backed away and under our governance structure, we couldn't move. And it's interesting to see all that's happened in, in recent weeks and what that may mean for some of that positioning. Um, when we think about deadlines, you know, the extreme for our football scheduling decision is the model for Texas A&M and Missouri, where Missouri was added in November and they played, you know, the next August with us. So I don't want to work on that short a time frame. You take that to the CFP and you're going to need to know that the 25 season is the last of the current CFP contracts. So I, I say with a smile on my face, we better know the week before kickoff of the 25 season, uh, what we're going to do with the postseason uh, in the following year. Uh, but I, 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 we do have time is the reality. Um, I think there are, are reasons to try to move this along, and there's an interest in trying to decide over the next probably year, but uh, that doesn't even have to be an absolute timeline. And as you look at the shifting sands, uh, some may want to step back and say, well, let's look at this thing in, in kind of a, a blank slate fashion again. And I'm one who said in January, if we're going to go back to square one, we're going to have to look at everything. And we're probably in a little bit of that circumstance now, particularly with what's happened over the last three weeks. Commissioner Greg Sankey has been our guest on Outkick 360. He's in Atlanta at SEC Media Days, moved from the Birmingham Hoover area to Atlanta. What are the chances you're coming to to, to Nashville? I know the SEC and the, uh, the, the Music City <laughs> partnership has been very, very good in years past. Is there a chance we could host this event here? Uh, certainly a chance. And, and we've been we had planned on that before. And then COVID disrupted uh, our ability to move when we had thought in 21. So still working on that opportunity. The exciting fact is I can guarantee we're going to have a decade of men's basketball 
at Bridgestone Arena starting in March. And, and that's obviously been an incredibly exciting opportunity. If you think about last year, we had you know 23,000 fans in Tampa, but given that Kentucky-Tennessee semifinal, you know, had we been in, in downtown Nashville, I think we would have blown the roof off the building uh, with that matchup. And then the, the success that Tennessee had winning the, the, the conference championship, we probably would have blown it off again on, on Sunday for our finals. So we're looking forward to being back in Nashville with basketball and we're working on that opportunity uh, because we're unique in moving our football media days around. And we think we can take advantage of Nashville in a really great way for this event. Not just not just the arena, but Broadway would have been insane uh, for, for that semifinal. It snowed that weekend, though, and it was sunny and warm hey. in Tampa. But I still think it would have been quite yeah. a scene, even amidst the snow. <laughs> weather Always. weather aside, uh, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure that's keeping anyone away from that weekend here. Um, thank you for the time. We, we appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on OutKick soon. Great. Look Thanks. forward to it. Have a great day. That's Commissioner Greg Sankey. Back with more on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. If you missed portions of our chat there with Commissioner Greg Sankey of the SEC, with Tony Barnhart, uh, who's there on site in Atlanta covering the event, or with uh, Roger McCreary, Titans Rookie Corner. You can always find the podcast wherever you download your audio or just search out Outkick 360 on YouTube or visit outkick.com. Good chat there with the commissioner. I love that we're giving a visual aid now to the 6th and Peabody for those who watch Yeah, right us. above us this, uh, uh, where you can see the the 6th and Peabody so everyone knows exactly where we are, Paul, which is um, also, located Also, you where? could call it Peabody and 6th. Peabody and 6th. We should get an inverted <laughs> inverted sign for when I just go Just to be opposite. different. Yeah, yeah, just to be different. Um, yesterday, we, we had the chance to chat with Clark Lee um, you know, he, he puts a lot of time and thought into his his state of the program address that he delivers prior to taking questions from the media at SEC Media Days. He did so last year and did it yesterday. And I I feel for him, Paul, because I, I see what he's up against team speed-wise. Let's just start there. Uh, the speed element for Vandy is not anywhere on par with the rest of the conference. Uh, and you could argue on par with some of their non-conference opponents, which is sad to say. The cupboard was bare. And I think this year, he knows, and he didn't say this, but he knows they have, they have a really good young recruiting class. They're going to be freshmen. I think he knows that a month into the season, maybe sooner, he's going to have to play a lot of those guys because they're better overall than the talent he's currently working with. No knock on the players. It's just, it is what it is. And in the business of winning, you've got to get your nucleus ready for the future. Look, I like Clark Lee. I want good things for Clark Lee and the Vanderbilt program. I think it'd be great if, if 
that school was substantially better and, you know, had a shot every, you know, five years to, to be, you know, a good notch over yeah, five or, or at least a part of the conversation. Uh, this week, they're just not a part of the conversation. But, 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 you know, we had a good conversation with him. He sounds like Tony Robbins a lot of the time. And I don't think he can be Tony Robbins really at any uh, Division I school, but particularly where he is in the SEC. And he's talking now about being a dominant program in the SEC, all right? You can, you can give me some of that if I'm uh, listening to the Vanderbilt head coach talk. As a, as a fan <clears throat> or as, as somebody paying attention to SEC media days. But you can't give me as much as he's giving me without also giving me some ground. That, that's a 30,000-foot view, right? And it's a nice overview. But there's too big a dose of the 30,000-foot view with very little dose of the ground level view where the fact is, as you raised, Dave, and we hit on it, you, you're in a 21-game SEC losing streak. So I can't take you seriously if you're talking about building a dominant program and you're insufficiently discussing the need to win one game now to I, get your fans, to get the media, and to get, most importantly, your players to see that that big boulder you're talking about, which is being a dominant program in the SEC can get like a, a, a move an inch. Better yet, get rolling. Well, but better he, yet, get rolling up the mountain that you've got to push it on before it can start to roll. You know, he he he's laying out his plan, but also it's all plan. It's all, but, but I I think that is acknowledging without saying it just how bad Derek Mason left things. Um, and it, he doesn't have to say. You can look at them play. I mean, Florida and Georgia outscored them like 106 to nothing last year. Um, ETSU beat them. And while coaching matters, so does the talent on the field. Their, their, their freshman crop is pretty good. I mean, considering where they were and where they are ranked now. Uh, moving, So they, they've got six or seven freshmen that I think legitimately can be on the field this year. But with that comes growing pains, too. And he's finally had a full offseason now. I, I don't disagree with what you're saying about the 30,000-foot view and the Tony Robbins aspect. He's kind of saying, I can't let a losing the, streak and the need to win one game get in the way of my big, broad vision. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to. Yeah, it's it, it's coming. They, they open up against Hawaii, and then they play Northern Illinois on the road. That is a reflection of your brand in and of itself. And they need patsies. More than anybody, and they lost to him last year. Mark Stoops is about winning at Kentucky. He joins us next.